We are so glad that you're here. If we only get the chance to tell you one thing, it's this. Give yourself some grace. We want to help you redefine failure and break down the intentional, internal work that it takes to know and love who you are. So that you can stop worrying about what other people think of you. Create consistent habits and thoughts that are going to serve you. Experience more peace and less anxiety. And confidently show up as your true self. I'm Jenny. I'm Joe. And this is Of Progress and Purpose. Hello, welcome back. Hi, friends. Season finale. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> we always end our, uh, when we have story time with the kids, that's how I signal to them that I'm done reading for the night. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then they don't get mad when I stop reading. That's why we can do that uh, unprompted together. Yep. Because <laughs> we're used to it. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> Dog over the page, but that's a wrap. Yep. <laughs> Um, we are going to be sharing our rock bottom moments today, so exciting stuff. I, I'm grateful for the guests that we had come on and share theirs. I hope you go back and listen to them if you haven't heard those interviews yet. I think it's just important to talk about that, to talk about where we feel like we screwed up or where we felt feelings that, I don't know, I guess don't get put on display a lot, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a, an every conversation kind of thing, but it's helpful to know that we're not alone. And like I've been saying all season, that rock bottom isn't the end of the road or the whole story. So Yeah, and everybody kind of goes through that. And I think that's kind of one of the things we were trying to do with these interviews is show that even successful people have had those moments and, and stuff, so... It's part of the process, but before we get into that, confession session time. Yes, sir. Who's going first? I have the best one. Oh, okay. <laughs> you already know this. Yes. I celebrated St. Patrick's Day with my kids on March 18th. <laughs> Which was the day after St. Patrick's Day for those of you who are date challenged like me. Hashtag confession session. The day of St. Patrick's Day, I knew it was St. Patrick's Day, and we woke up early and drove to town with Joe. He had to be to work really early, and I was I had this plan to build traps and have the kids catch a leprechaun or try, so they were really excited about this beforehand, but didn't know what day specifically it was. And I didn't want to do it that day because I knew we had to wake up early. So <laughs> we got to my mom's house to hang out and uh, she had this happy St. Patrick's Day balloon. And, and our daughter says, what's that? And I said, oh, that's a balloon for St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. <laughs> I played it off real well. So then we, we uh, built our traps that day. It was great. The kids had fun. Joe used his... Uh, engineering skills and then we had St. Patrick's morning the next morning and that was good too and then later my daughter kind of caught me in the lie because <laughs> because she said I'm sorry mom the trap broke and I said that's okay St. Patrick's day is over she says wait wasn't it yet was it today or was it yesterday and I thought uh oh <laughs> 
She's getting too smart. <laughs> she is. She's getting too old to... Uh, in fact, she's almost to the point where we can't spell anymore, and that's that's going to be a rough transition. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Confession. All right. Mine's a surprise. Are you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> I am now. It's nothing to be nervous about. Uh, my confession is that uh, my bracket is busted, guys. <laughs> so, uh, for anybody who, who follows March Madness, which is the uh, college basketball that's going on right now, I had Ohio State in the Final Four, and they were a two seed, and they got beat by a 15 seed by Oral Roberts. And then there was like four other big upsets yesterday. So basically, don't ask me who's going to win a college basketball game because I don't know. <laughs> I apparently Rush. suck at picking games. Oh, it's tough when there's those upsets, though. Yeah. Actually, I really like the upsets. Like, I think it's super cool. But my bracket is completely destroyed. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm in last place in our work pool. So, yeah. Hardy, hardy. Although apparently there's prizes for the worst bracket, so maybe I'll get that prize. <laughs> That'd be good. That'd be fun. Yeah. Speaking of, anybody want to let Joe come watch sports at their house? I know because apparently you can't watch the game. Apparently you can't watch March Madness for free anymore. Like you used to be able to watch it on the internet for free, and now it's like all behind a paywall. I'm like, what is this? They know we're all sports starved because of COVID. I know. They should have made it free for COVID or something. Demand and supply, honey. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag economics. All right. Well, our affirmation for today's episode is, I honor my experiences. I choose to keep going. I am becoming the best version of myself. And I think I'll go first because I have a feeling... That Joe's rock bottom moment will be more of an epiphany for you guys. It's not that I don't have trials, but... You don't even know what my rock bottom moment is. I know, I'm kind of excited to hear, but... Part of why I really wanted guests on this season is because I don't have really a lot that is, like, life-crushing. I don't know. I do believe, I've always been a believer of this, that what feels big to you is a big deal. And it matters to God. And I have thought about that a lot. But I'm also one of those people who learns from experience. So I've had a lot of things happen in my childhood and in my family's lives that I guess I've been able to learn from that. And... I don't know why, but so I kind of feel like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop sometimes. <laughs> but you've dodged a few bullets. But there's a lot of things that I've learned from. Anyway, my rock bottom moment, I've talked a little bit about on here just across a few episodes, probably most recently the interview with Jill. Freestone is postpartum depression. And that was with my second. There were a couple of instances that stood out to me. The first moment I remember was actually in the hospital when he was first born. He had struggles breathing, so he had to go to the NICU. And instead of getting to nurse and do skin to skin and that, I had to do the pump. 
And then once I did get him back and get to hold him, he was hungry, but to get that colostrum, he had to feed from a syringe now instead of nurse. And I remember being awake at three in the morning trying to get him to take this breast milk out of the syringe and Joe was asleep and I just was feeling like, why doesn't this feel like it did with my first where there was so much joy and there was so much, I don't know, it, it was just a different feeling. Like I just felt grayer, but I didn't know why. And um, so that was probably the first moment. And then after that, you know, I had mentioned in the episode with Jill that Joe was going to grad school. He was teaching and taking classes, finishing up his, what's it called? Dissertation. Dissertation, yeah, for for his PhD. And he was scoutmaster, so he had things all the time on weeknights and weekends. He was doing robotics. And I also had a toddler at home and I didn't really get to prepare a lot with this pregnancy because I didn't take work off. I had to work through the pregnancy and watch our uh, then one and a half year old. And I was actually nursing her when we found out we were pregnant. So I just felt like, okay, she's not out of diapers. She's not, <laughs> I'm, she's still breastfeeding. And now we have another one on the way and I'm still working. And so I didn't feel like I got any preparation period. And then we were just so, so busy. Joe was very busy and we were also planning a move. So I had to pack the house and I remember just doing like sections of it because he was gone all day. And so I just basically did all of the packing, but I did it like one section at a time. Okay, I'm going to do the nightstand today and I'm going to do under the bed. And, and it wasn't like with my daughter where I had maternity leave and I had no other children. And I remember with her just laying on the couch and and snuggling and we watched a lot of Chopped. <laughs> but with my son, it wasn't like that. And I just remember the looming to-do list. I don't even remember the cuddle moments or feeling that connection. And I think that that's what was the hardest. I remember one night specifically getting in a fight with Joe because I was like, this is hard and I can't do this. And you know, he was like, I what do you want me to do about it? I don't know. And I remember calling my mom and just crying. Um, because sometimes in those moments you want your mother, you know, and it's like, I, I have no other solution. So I'm just going to call and cry to my mom. So I remember that. And then like months later, we did move and we were living with my mom because we were, trying to find a, a house and buy a house. And so we were just renting at a discount, <laughs> a steep discount. So thank you, mom. Um, while we were looking to buy a house and we plan on it being a few months and it ended up being almost a year. 
that we were there. So it, there were so many blessings as well. Like I remember my, my little brother gave up his room so my kids could have his room because at first we were just staying in like the family room and it just wasn't working out to get the kids to sleep. I had to have them have their own room. And I remember, and my brothers remember, how mad I got anytime any one of our children woke up. It was bad. Because <laughs> I wasn't getting any sleep. It was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, you should have seen the look on their faces. <laughs> I was already grumpy. And I've told you guys before that when I get mad, I get mad. But seriously, I, I would say, if you wake up one of my children you will put them back to sleep, not me. <laughs> I'm surprised you were that nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. but I remember that, and I remember being grateful that we have family, that we could have help with the kids and go on date nights and go to the grocery store without having to load everything and go on walks around the block. So there were definitely pros, but it was also really hard because one of the things that I've noticed with postpartum depression is I get really overwhelmed by sensory overload. Too much noise just stresses me out. I can't handle, I don't respond, I react. And <laughs> it's basically just like yell and find a quiet place and eat chocolate. <laughs> That's how I react. <laughs> but I can't do sensory overload. So it was hard to be in a small space with so many people. And also it was hard to never have time with Joe, just he and I. Because I remember so many times, and this is something that Jill talked about too, when you're around extended family and you have things that you're like, we really need to talk about this. We really need to work this out. This isn't working for me. Like those kinds of conversations we couldn't have because we were always around somebody else. And it's like, I can't get into the nitty gritty of my marriage <laughs> with our family right there. So for a long time, there was that disconnection as well, where I just felt like, we weren't close anymore, Joe and I, and that was hard. And then another moment that I remember, I bought journals for the kids and I wanted to write down about their births. And I tried to write about the hospital and the first few weeks because the question that I had was like, what were the first few weeks like with me as a new baby? And I just started crying. I couldn't even write because I looked back and it still makes me sad that I didn't remember anything good about that. And I don't ever want him to grow up and feel like it wasn't good for me. But really, it was so, so hard. And he is so, like, <laughs> if you knew him now, he is the best hugger. And he always makes me laugh. And he is just the bright spot of my day every day. But I couldn't write in that journal and say that we had these great snuggles and we had this great bond because I didn't have that um, in those first days. And that was when I really was like, that's so weird. Maybe something's up. And at that point, I was still struggling bonding with him, even though it was months, months later, because I would just hold him and he would scream and cry. And he was one of our babies that with our daughter, when she got to a certain age, 
we would let her cry in 10 minute intervals and then go check on her and she would fall asleep in half an hour. And that was after, you know, there's, it's true that you don't sleep as a mother or, or a dad of a newborn because she had colic and in those early weeks, you don't sleep anyway. But she got on a really good schedule really fast and it really was just the first few weeks. And with my son, it was months and months of him not sleeping. And also, I couldn't sleep when the baby slept like I could with my first because I had another child to take care of so I can't just take naps in the middle of the day. So it was really hard trying to get him to go to sleep and I remember I would rock him in the rocking chair and he would just be screaming. And I would put him in the crib and pat him and try that and he would just be screaming. And he was changed and he was fed and he was burped and he was all the things. But no matter what we did, he would just be screaming. And I just, like, if he's going to scream anyway, part of me thinks I should put him in the crib. But at that point, it was like, I was so overwhelmed that I wasn't thinking anymore. And Joe and I have talked about this before too, where when we get really upset, we want to fix it and prove that we can handle it. And I would do that with him at that age and just sit there and rock him and rock him and rock him until he fell asleep. And it would be hours and hours. Or walk him around outside because he liked the outdoors sometimes. And um, try that. So, <laughs> I don't know. It was really stressful just trying to get him to sleep. And that's all I remember when he was little is I remember trying to get him to sleep. And... It's sad because I know so much of his personality now that I wish that I had been paying attention to the good things then, but I, I wasn't and I, and I don't blame myself, but I do feel bad for him and I feel bad for me that we missed out on that. And then the last moment that really spurred me to get therapy and get help was after noticing and talking about all these moments with Joe and talking about our marriage and we had kind of said yeah maybe therapy would be a good idea at this point but I just hadn't made the plunge and found a therapist and I think I was kind of waiting for someone to do that for me but I had a dream one night and I have said this before on the podcast but I actually have two brothers who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And I remember in this dream, because I wasn't getting very much sleep, and I already felt frazzled and like I wasn't at my best. But in this dream, I remember the house was on fire, and I needed to get the kids out, but I couldn't find them anywhere. And I was looking for the kids and trying to get them out of the house. And then all of a sudden, like, the fire disappeared and I was just in the house and the kids were like out playing in the street and I had just had this daydream in my dream that something was going on and I was like oh my gosh I am losing my mind I am seeing things I'm seeing things and my kids are in the street and I'm not paying attention and I'm not able to take care of them and I think I'm going crazy and I woke up at that point and I 
was sobbing to Joe. And I remember being scared, like, I think I'm losing my mind. I think I'm going crazy. And I was really scared when he left for work because I thought, I hope I can take care of them and I want them to be safe, but I don't know if I can do that. And that was what spurred me to get help. And that's so funny because all of these other experiences and it's such proof of, you know, what motherhood, what we think motherhood is that we need help ourselves, we need help ourselves, we need help ourselves, and we don't care. We don't have time. I don't have time to deal with that. But then when I realized, like, my kids are in danger because I'm not taking care of myself, that's when I decided to get help. And I think if I had done it before that point, that would have been done better too. So maybe grand epiphany-wise, um... It's okay to take yourself off of the back burner once in a while and not wait for it to be urgent and desperate. But anyway, at that point, that's when I found a therapist and I'm still in touch with her. I don't go in nearly as often, but I'm grateful for that. I never did get on medication and part of that is because I've just had so many struggles with the doctors. <laughs> um, and that's a whole separate thing with, with my TMJ and all of that. Like, I just don't want to deal with finding a doctor and telling them what's going on and finding the right one and finding the right medication. It's not that I don't think it would be helpful or that I have a problem with it, but I've just been really hesitant to get on board with all of the hassle, I suppose. But for me, therapy was really helpful. And also the podcast and just being able to have something for myself and think through like we've been doing, learning from some of the hard in my life. I think it's given me a lot of skills and I'm grateful for that. And that doesn't mean that I'm perfect at it either because I still get stressed and I still yell. And Joe knows better than anyone, but I think I'm in a much better place. And I honestly think a big part of that is because now I sleep again (laughs) and I get a full nine hours every night and it's wonderful. And so to any parent who is struggling and not getting that, you are not crazy. It really is. I really think it's the lack of sleep. That's just my opinion, but those are some moments from my rock bottom moment, so. Although our boy does still require, uh, we drive him to sleep most nights. We do. (laughs) We do. (laughs) And he, and then half the time he wakes up and comes and ends up in our bed. Yeah. But you know what? He's been our high maintenance (laughs) sleeper. (laughs) At this point, we're like, Totally worth the gas money. Yep. <laughs> so. Yep. Anyway. Okay, my rock bottom moment. Um, I had to... I, I think I'm a pretty lucky person because my life right now is pretty good. And it's been pretty good for a long time. Like, I mean, there have been... Everybody has their trials and things. But, you know, nothing earth-shattering has happened. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's been a few things. But nothing... Nothing that really, you know, no existential crises. 
So I had to kind of think about this for a while uh, when Ginny asked me to think about my rock bottom moment and stuff. And I'm sitting there like, what is my rock bottom moment? Like, I, I never really feel like I've ever been rock bottom. Like, you know, you think of people rock bottom, like, you know, living homeless on the street kind of thing. And, you know, I've never been through anything like that. But then I remembered my childhood and I had a very good childhood. I had excellent parents, wonderful family, grew up in a, in a strong home and stuff. But I went through probably about uh, six or seven years in my childhood where I dealt with some pretty intense bullying. And I was, I, I think, so when I was in younger elementary grades, like first, second, third grade, I had a hard time with uh, having accidents as far as like having to go to the bathroom and stuff. I was apparently born with a very small bladder. <laughs> my my dad says it's the first bladder. Um, and so, you know, at school they say, you know, you can only go to the bathroom this many times, like the whole quarter. And I would blow through those in like a week, you know? <laughs> and, and so the rest of the time I'm like sitting there holding it, like trying to wait till recess. And then half the time, you know, I couldn't. And, and uh, so I think that is kind of where the bullying kind of got started. But then I kind of grew out of that after a year or two. And, and that wasn't the thing anymore, but the bullying stayed. And I'm not sure really why that's, the bathroom thing is kind of like seems like it was the trigger but I don't know if really that was really why but anyway um there were there were five or six kids that I grew up with who I went to church with went to school with like I was always around these kids that would just mercilessly bully me and it happened everywhere like when I wasn't at home I was most likely being bullied and it was pretty difficult. Like, um, I, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember bits and pieces. I don't think I remember anything that was said to me specifically, but I remember one moment after going to scouts one day, like coming home and just in tears and like telling my dad, like, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to go to school anymore. Like, you know, it's just too hard. Like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And fortunately, my parents, I don't know if they, you know, how much they knew or, or what, but they were wise enough to know kind of how to get me through that. They helped me understand that um, it wasn't about me. It was about the people who were who were bullying me. They taught me, they said, you know, when somebody does that, it's not because something's wrong with you. It's because they feel insecure and they feel like by putting someone else down, it lifts them up. And so really, you know, it's because they're, you know, they're having a hard time themselves and, and stuff. And I, and I don't remember all the things that my parents said and stuff. And this was a years long process, but I kind of credit getting through that situation to my parents and their wisdom in kind of helping me navigate that in a healthy way and really understanding what was behind the bullying. Like, I'm sure there were times when they, behind the scenes, talked to other kids' parents and things like that and tried to help alleviate things. But it never really went away until, you know, I was in high school, like my freshman year of high school. Um, and then it kind of subsided. And 
I think part of it was I got bigger than some of the kids that were doing <laughs> the bullying. <laughs> and in high school, you have different classes. and I was always tracked into the AP classes and things like that. And most of the bullies were not. Um, anyway, so that might have been a factor too. But anyway, I think that the bullying never really went away for those years. It was more that I learned how to navigate it. And I learned how to understand what was going on that it wasn't about me but looking back that I think honestly like looking back that's about the hardest time of my life that I've ever had to deal with and I was extremely fortunate compared to you know as a teacher now I see this from the other side and I see things happen and and it's just so much in some ways it's so much worse now because it's so much harder to get away from I could get away from it at home but kids now, they can't even get away from it there because it's on their devices and stuff. And that's why, like, one reason I'm so... I'm of the opinion our kids will not have phones until they're old enough to hold down a job and pay for it themselves at, the, at a minimum, you know, and stuff like that. And that's part of the reason is because of what I see as a teacher, it's just bad now. But... I think now that I've had 20 years or so to, to kind of look back on those experiences and and kind of ruminate on that, it really was, you know, we asked all of our, our guests on our show this, uh, this season that would you change it if you could go back and, and change it and not have to go through that thing. And I am of the same opinion as all of our guests that no, I wouldn't. Um, it was really, really hard. Like, there were many nights, like, when I came home in tears, the, the one that I remember and described to you just now, there were a lot of times like that. There were times when, you know, I was afraid that I was going to get physically hurt and things, but I would not change it because I think having to to go through that and learning how to go through that in a healthy way I think really has paid huge dividends in my adult life. For example, it's really difficult to offend me. I don't get, you know, when people say things or whatever, like half the time they don't even mean mean it, you know, or like how it's taken or whatever. But I've gotten really good at giving people the benefit of a doubt and not having time for petty stuff. Like if somebody's really being petty or trying to get my goat or whatever, like I just don't have time for them and, and I just leave them in the wake, you know? Um, and you're very sure in who you are. Yeah, that's that's a lot of it too, is I have a lot of confidence, you know, it took me years to get my confidence back and I really didn't even get get that until probably college. So all through high school and stuff, I was really shy and not sure of myself and stuff but there were some things that kind of started to help me get my confidence back running was a big part of that for me and then I went away on a on a church mission uh, for two years and knocked on the doors of strangers you know talking about God <laughs> and, and, and you know if, if there's anything to get your confidence up that's, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, anyway um you know, there were just some, some good experiences that I've had in the in the decades since then that have really helped me get that back. But I think the foundation of that was going through that experience of being bullied and learning that my self-worth is not dependent 
on what other people might think about me. That I have value intrinsically, that, you know, God loves me and knows who I am, and that what other people think really doesn't matter all that much at all. And the interesting thing about that is, is that getting that confidence and getting that, you know, water off a duck's back mentality when it comes to people who are insulting and stuff is I've actually found that I am much better able to make friends and stuff. Like, I have found that I can make friends with people that nobody else likes. I've had that happen multiple times where there's people that just for whatever reason, their way of socially interacting is just miscalibrated to everybody else's. But I get along with those people just fine, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the experiences that I went through. Um, Because in the back of my mind, I'm always like, you know, I would never want to be treated like I was treated. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to treat them that way. And so I think that helps. But anyway, this is kind of a, a little bit of a word salad. But I think that I would never change that because I think it's made me who I am in a lot of ways. And that the one thing that if anybody's out there with kids who are being bullied or anything like that, just have hope that you can get through it and it can turn into a positive thing in your life. It's it's going to suck while, the, while it's happening. But if you handle it right, if you learn why the bullying is happening, that it's not about you, that it's not your fault, that it's you're just you just happen to be the nearest target for their outlet. Um, and learn to stand up for yourself when it's appropriate to do so. That is one thing that if I could go back and go through that experience again, I would have maybe tried to do a little bit more is learn how to stand up for myself and There are times when you should and you need to. Mm -hmm. Um, But that really when you come at it with the right mindset and understand the causes that it's happening and understand that you have a family that loves you and they're the ones who really matter, you know, not some kid at school or whatever. That's what kind of got me through that. And it can turn into a really positive thing after it's kind of over. So I think that was, you know, looking back, I think that's probably the the hardest experience I've had in my life. That that would be my rock bottom moment. And no, I wouldn't change it as far as whether or not I would go through it again. And I think that that's kind of the case with all of these things. Whatever your rock bottom moment is, whatever your hard thing is in your life, whether you've already had it happen or whether it's in your future, Just keep in mind that these uh, experiences, they can be transformative. They're happening for a reason. We will not be able to see that in the moment most of the time. But once we've had a a few years or whatever to to look back on it, we'll see how it's shaped us and molded us into a better person and made us able to help other people who maybe are going through the same thing. Yeah. Thank you. You reminded me of something else that we've said on here that knowing and loving who you are better equips you to know and love other people. And I think that that situation that you went through is a good example of that, that when you were able to gain that surety in your intrinsic value, 
you saw that intrinsic value in other people. Yeah, and and I, I think it's worth saying that that doesn't happen overnight. Like that took me years to realize that about myself. And and honestly, while while the bullying was happening, like I was leaning on my parents for that. Like I didn't have that, you know, at the moment. But I was learning it, and it took me years to learn it. But I did. Yeah, I think that's a good disclaimer for all of these rock bottom moments that we've been listening to. And I have said it a few times, but just to reiterate to our listeners, it isn't overnight. You don't learn the lessons in the moment. And even for me, honestly, would I go back and change it until this moment? I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like I had thought I was going to say, I don't think I can for sure say, of course not. I wouldn't go back and change it. Because do I want to have missed those moments? No. And some of the positives that came out of that for me, as far as the podcast and a little personal growth, like, <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I wasn't sure. Would that be worth it to me? No, I think I'd rather have those moments back with my child. But when Joe was talking about identity, and how he learned from his experience about that intrinsic value. I think that's when I was like, that, that would be worth it. And I'm glad I figured that out early as a mother because our kids are still young, that I can still have an identity that is me and not just me in the role of a mom. And also be able to really tap into my individual worth and that's a gift um but it's like it's like joe said so maybe if your answer is i don't know or yes i would go back and change it or i don't even want to listen to this right now because i can't see anything positive in this that's okay too it's like he said it's not overnight but first and foremost knowing that you're not alone and then secondary to that just come back to it later and take your time. So. Yeah, I think we've talked about relentless forward progress a few times on the podcast. I think that that's, that's a mantra that has always helped me, you know, through difficult times, you know. And you're not going to have the light bulb go off immediately, like when you're going through these things. That's just not the nature of who we are it's not the nature of how we experience hardship um it's only afterwards you know when things have settled down and and stuff that you can really expect to kind of be able to to synthesize all of that and that experience and see the good and the bad even you know saying that yeah i would i would go through that again like that doesn't mean it would be fun that doesn't mean i would enjoy it but it's, you know, it's part of who I am now. And I also think it's like Mike McKnight said in his interview, you can't predict that chain of events. So maybe in the moment, you don't know that breaking your back is going to turn you into this really amazing ultra runner. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you can't predict the chain of events that it's going to set into motion. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think the the unpredictability of it is what makes those experiences transformative. If you could predict it, if you knew that you were going to get through it and and it was certain, like then it wouldn't change you. That's part of the bargain. If you're in that moment right now, you probably can't see the way out. It's going to be hard and you probably don't know how this is going to turn out. But that's what changes you is moving forward even when you don't know that. Yeah. It's like our Into the Unknown episode. From season two. (laughs) And that hero's journey of really transforming into who you were meant to be. Yeah. It's like the butterfly effect. All right. Our one-liner for today's episode is, you've got this. Maybe that seems overly simplified, but I don't know your situation. We don't know your situation. But I do have faith in human resilience, and I have faith that time heals, like we've talked about. So you've got this. Keep going. Yeah. And in line with our episode last week about taking a break, we don't have a journal prompt or a homework assignment for you this week. It's our season finale. Um, Just take time for yourself to think over your own experiences and sit with that. No immediate outcome necessary. So (laughs) I hope this season has been helpful for you guys in learning how to redefine failure. And I have an exciting announcement for you next week. So stay tuned for that. But other than that, yeah, it's been great. Yep. You guys are the best. Spread love. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love to hear from you. Tell us how the journal prompts are going for you, what you learned, or what you need the most right now. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Of Progress and Purpose. And if you ever think of someone who might like to hear us think out loud too, feel free to share the podcast with a friend. It doesn't matter how you do it. Most of all, thank you for being part of our community. We know your time is valuable and we hope you love spending it here as much as we love having you. See you next week.